Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. How we doing, Crosslink? Everybody good? Yeah? It's always such a joy to come back uh, to this spot and to have a chance to worship with, uh, with you all, to visit with uh, the Kirklands. I don't have any greater friends in life or in ministry than Matthew and Heather Kirkland. Um, you know, they're, they're, my dad used to say um, that you have friends and you have friends in the ministry. And friends are great, but friends in the ministry, they get it. <laughs> and, uh, and, and those those two get it, and it's a privilege to, uh, to be able to serve together occasionally, uh, to have them in New York to, to preach at, uh, at Salem Church, and also to return uh, to Crosslink and serve with them, hang out with them, uh, let our kids play together. I mean, those are the kind of things that we uh, dreamed about when we were students together back in our teenage years at Liberty University 20-some-odd years ago, and so God has been gracious to fulfill that and give us the opportunity to, uh, uh, to encourage they, they, one another. Their, their kids are a little bit out ahead of where mine are. So Ashley and I are taking copious notes <laughs> uh, with every step the Kirklands take in order to, uh, to learn all we can and, uh, and try to model the faithfulness we see in that, in that family in our own as well. And what can I say about Crosslink other than I told you when I left here seven years ago that the Wellborns, we will never doubt that we have a home and a family in the valley, no matter where we go or what we do. And so every time we return to this space, we are reminded of God's faithfulness uh, through this church family uh, to love us and to support us in those early days of our pastoral ministry. And so I just can't, I can't say much more about that without uh, beginning to lose it. So I'll just say this, I love you. And I'm glad to be back with you for a Sunday today. As it relates to the valley, there are things we miss and things we don't miss. The smell is something we do not miss <laughs> at all. And when I first got here, you told me it smells like money. And I promise you, I've smelled money. It doesn't smell like money. I, I live three miles from Wall Street. There's more money there than... It don't smell like money around here, praise God, all right? If you have a Bible, take it and turn with the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. Um, I, you know, I, I had a message prepared, and then I began to talk with Pastor Matthew and some of your team and began praying further about it. And so I'm going to preach this text. I'm, I'm going I'm to share with you something that I think is going to be applicable and appropriate for where you are as a church family right now. Uh, but in addition to that, I've got some things I want to share from my heart that don't really fit in the notes. I don't know who's running the PowerPoint upstairs, but God help you today. Um, because we're going to jump around a little bit. Uh, and if you want your uh, blanks filled in and I don't get to it, you know, come see me after the service and I'll tell you the answers. Because some of you, if you don't get all your blanks filled in, you'll be in therapy by tomorrow morning. So I want to make sure that, uh, that I speak to those of you that are here. Let me ask you a question. To begin the message, let me ask you a question. Who, don't say out loud, but who do you love more than anybody else in the world? Who do you love? Not talking about Jesus. Don't give me the Sunday school name. I'm talking about human being who lives around you or is involved in your life. We're talking about a spouse. We're talking about a child. We're talking about a brother, a sister. Talking about a friend. Talking about a neighbor. Who do you love? Who who is it that you have a deep and abiding love for more so than any other people in your life? Let me let me let me venture a guess. Let me speculate for a second. You tell me 
at least uh, affirm if you think it's true. If you love them, if you really, really love this person, then most likely when you get a good new, bit of piece of good news, they're one of the first ones you text or call. This love relationship you have with this person, whenever you get bad news, that's one of the first persons you want to know about it so they can pray with you or encourage you. Let me just speculate for a second and say, if you love this person, I'm talking about the person you love in this world more than anybody else, then what makes them happy probably makes you happy. Is that fair? If you're with me, say, uh-huh. If you love them at a deep and abiding level, and the, this is the person, this is the individual who comes to mind when I say, who, lo- who do you love the most, then what makes them sad also makes you sad. Is that fair? If you love this person, then when they're grieving, then you're grieving. If you love this person, then when they're celebrating, you're celebrating. And odds are, if, if that's not the case, then you might not be in love with this person the way that you think that you might be because if they're celebrating and you're not, they're grieving and you're not, they're happy and you're not, they're sad and you're not, you're not joining them in those moments of life, then there's something amiss. Jesus said the first and greatest commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so what's true of our earthly relationships is also true about our heavenly relationships. Dear friends, if we love God, it means that what grieves the heart of God will grieve us. Dear friends, if we love God, it means that what God celebrates will celebrate. Dear friends, if we love God, it means that whatever makes God happy should make us happy, and whatever makes God sad will make us sad because we have a deep and abiding relationship with God. So what matters to God will matter to us. There was a Sunday school teacher one time that wanted to make a point about the dangers of drinking alcohol. So she set up with her little fourth grade class two glasses. There was one glass that was just water and another glass that was rubbing alcohol. And she had two earthworms she dug out of her garden that morning and brought them to Sunday school. And she set these little kids around the table as she took one earthworm and dropped it in the glass of water. And that earthworm swam around and did just fine, had no issues whatsoever. She dropped the other earthworm into the glass of rubbing alcohol. And as soon as it hit that liquid, it shriveled and died. The children were locked. They were enamored. And the teacher felt, I've made my point, but just let me make sure it's clear. So the teacher says, children, what does this tell us? And one little boy raised his hand and said, if you got worms, drink lots of alcohol. (laughs) He missed the point. (laughs) He could not have missed the point any farther than he missed the point. Today we want to talk to you about a passage of scripture where some people missed the point. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is having a conversation with tax collectors and sinners because they were drawing near to hear him. In fact, look at it. If you've got your Bible open, Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners gathered around to hear him, but the Pharisees and scribes, they murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable, and he goes on to give actually three parables. And he's speaking to the Pharisees and scribes, which were the people that had missed the point. The Pharisees and scribes had come to the conclusion that what mattered to God was strict adherence to the law and nothing else. They felt like if they were holy enough, if they were good enough, if they were righteous enough, that God would affirm them, and it didn't matter what else they did. So if their tassels were the right length and their cloaks looked the right way, and if they went to the temple enough times a day, and if they said the right things and they quoted the right scriptures, if they kept themselves in moral conformity to the, to the word of God as they understood it, then they would be accepted by God, and that's what mattered most to God. 
And so when they saw Jesus, a rabbi, a leader of someone who was obviously from God, and they saw that he was hanging out with people who were tax collectors and sinners, and I go deep into this, but the tax collectors and sinners represented the, the scum of, of, of Eastern society. They represented the people nobody else wanted to be around. They represented the worst of the worst of the worst. We're talking, think of it in modern terms as the, the drug dealers and the, and the pimps and prostitutes. He was hanging out with the worst of the worst. We're talking the people that nobody else wanted anything to do with, you know, cat lovers and such. But as Jesus hung out with them, the Pharisees and scribes began to murmur. And so the Bible says that Jesus turned his attention away from the, Pharise- from the tax collectors and sinners, turned his attention to the Pharisees and scribes, and gave them a three-point message on the heart of God. And it came in three parables. The first parable was the parable of the lost sheep. Second parable is the one we'll talk about today, the parable of the lost coin, and the third was the parable of what you know as the prodigal son. But let me, let me give you a summation of what Jesus was telling and Jesus was explaining. Let me give you a summation of what Jesus was doing there in this passage. He was explaining the heart of God. And the argument I want to make to you today is the main idea of my message is, is the heart of God must be the heart of his people. If we're going to love God, we've got to love what God loves. If we're going to love God, it means we've got to grieve what God grieves. If we're going to love God, we've got to celebrate what God celebrates. And as Jesus was talking to these tax collectors, and, or excuse me, to these Pharisees and scribes, there are three things. Number one, Jesus prioritized the lost over the found. Jesus prioritized the lost over the found. And that made religious people angry. So Jesus explained God's heart to the religious people in three parables And I want us to focus in on parable number two. So take a look at Luke chapter 15 and verse number eight. Here's the second of three parables explaining the heart of God to the religious crowd. Look at verse number eight, it says this. Or what woman, having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house, seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, There is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So there are four things that illustrate the heart of God in Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. First, I want to show you how the lost illustrate the heart of God. The lost. The lost. Now, this is a reference to a coin this woman lost. Now, to this woman, this dowry necklace was 10 coins. So when you think of 10 coins, don't think of them as individual coins. Think of them as a part of an overall necklace. And most likely it was a part of the dowry that she brought into the marriage, which means that this, this necklace of 10 coins was the most valuable thing that she owned. In addition, it was more precious than the cost of it. Just think about your wedding ring. I'm wearing a wedding ring today that was placed on my finger on May the 22nd, 2004. Somebody give me some credit for remembering that date right off the top of my head. But this ring was placed on my finger on that date. And by the way, it's not worth a lot because we couldn't afford a lot back then. Still can't afford a lot, but back then especially so. And so if I lost this ring, I mean, I could replace it for a few hundred bucks, but it's worth far more than that. If you're with me, say, "Uh uh-huh. That was the case with this woman's dowry necklace. It was valuable, but it was worth more than its value would bring even at a marketplace. Because this was what she brought to the marriage. It was the most valuable thing she owned. And losing one of those 10 coins was unacceptable and giving up was not an option. So how did the coin get lost? And understand that every parable of Jesus is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So as we go along, we need to understand what is the heavenly meaning that Jesus is bringing with this earthly story. So 
when we're talking about this coin, how did it get lost? Now, the previous parable was about a sheep. And as many of you know, because there, many of you have sheep or have worked with sheep or know someone who has, a sheep can wander off all on its own. As, as Matthew was telling me, he actually has a sheep, and he was telling me on the way down on the drive this morning is that they'll follow their nose, they'll follow their sight, they'll go for the next thing that is attractive to them, whether it's a water or whether it's, it's grass or, or something else. And then all of a sudden they'll look up and they can't find their herd, they can't find their shepherd, and then they begin to panic. A sheep was lost simply because it was lost. It didn't even know it was lost, but it was lost. Now, the coin was lost not because it wandered off. Of course, a coin cannot wander off. The coin was lost because somebody mishandled it. Somebody misplaced it. The coin was lost not because it wandered off. It was lost because something or someone lost it. Maybe a child took the necklace out and was playing with it and the coin fell off. Maybe a guest came over and was admiring it and was careless with, with it, as, it put it back, as this guest put it back into its carrying case or to its box and it fell out with anybody notice, without anybody noticing at the time. But somebody was negligent in the relationship to the coin and that is why it was lost. But never forget that the heart of God must be the heart of his people. And just like this woman would not accept the fact that one of her 10 coins was lost, we should not be accepting the fact that millions around us are lost as well. So let's talk about, secondly, the found. Four things that illustrate the heart of God is the lost, the lost coin and lost people. Secondly are the found. Now, as soon as this woman discovered that the coin was missing, it was the emergency of her heart to find it. Nothing else mattered more than finding this coin. Everything else was on hold. Everything else took a back seat in her list of priorities to that coin being found. And once she discovers it's lost, she immediately goes and searches for it. Look at verse 8 once again. The scripture says, if she loses one coin, does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Now this woman's house was small. It would have been poorly lit. And the floors would have been made out of stones laid out in a pattern or simply hard-packed dirt with dried-out reeds or rushes across the top of it for some level of padding. So finding a small silver coin would not have been easy. When you think of her lighting a lamp, I don't want you to think of a Coleman lantern that you use while camping that could burn your retinas when you turn it up to its highest levels. Don't think about the lights that exist within this room. When you think about her lighting a lamp, I want you to call to mind an old Jewish oil lamp. I don't know if you've seen one before. There's a picture of one on the screen. This is the kind of lamp she's lighting to search for this coin in her stone floor. Think of the illumination from a lamp like that as about the same as a struck match, a single match. This is how precious this coin was to her that she was going into and trying to find what feels like a needle in a haystack. You see, in this second parable about the heart of God, Jesus chooses to emphasize the work that went into the woman finding her coin. In the first parable, he says there was a sheep that was lost. The shepherd went, searched for it, found it, brought it home, and celebrated. In this particular parable, though, Jesus emphasizes that it wasn't easy. It wasn't quick. And finding this coin required the woman to sacrifice her time and her cleanliness. This illustrates the heart of God for the lost. Because all around us, there are lost sheep. These are people that are lost. They don't even know they're lost. They're just living life, raising kids, going to work. They may even good men, good ladies, good friends, good neighbors, 
They're not even aware of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not even aware of the fact that they need a relationship with God through Jesus. They're not even aware of the fact that they need to turn from their sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus. That's the sheep. The coin, the coin is different. A coin is lost because someone mishandled it. And the lost coins in the valley around us are those that have been hurt by someone naming the name of Jesus. These are the people that have been mishandled by a church or a Christian, those that have been abused, those that may have conflated the idea of Christian and a particular political persuasion. And so they have no interest in our gospel message because they can't get past the political perspective that they've been given. These are people that have been mishandled, mismanaged, and misplaced. And so because of that, it's gonna be a little harder to reach the lost coins than it is the lost sheep. A little more difficult because they, they, there's a barrier there between their, their understanding of the gospel and the truth of God's word and whether or not they're prepared to embrace it. And Jesus emphasizes that with this woman and her coin. She's willing and ready and sweeping the house. She would sweep the house, the Bible says. And so what she's looking for is she's sweeping, she's listening. She's listening for a, a clank of the coin against the stone. She's looking for maybe even a slight glimpse, a, a glint of reflection from the, from the oil lamp. She She's looking for something, anything that gives her an indication that the coin has been found. And we do the same as we have a relationship with those that are totally turned off to the church, those that are totally angry with the church, those that are totally uh, out on the idea of the gospel of Jesus and of the church. We must stay engaged with them and be looking for those glimmers of hope, of opportunity to share the hope of Jesus. Why? Because the heart of God must be the heart of his people. There's the lost, tells us a little bit about the heart of God. There, there's, the, there's the search or the found that tells us about the heart of God. Then finally, thirdly, let me show you the celebration. The celebration. See, like the shepherd in the previous parable, Jesus notes that a found coin, it was caused for celebration in that woman's community. What happened next was a party. Look at verse 9. The Bible says that when she found it, he calls, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin that I had lost. You know, when you think about celebration, you think about some of the craziest and most incredible celebrations usually happen on the back end of what should have been a defeat. You know, Pastor Matthew mentioned a moment ago, we don't see eye to eye on college football. Um, and so because we both pull for very, very accomplished teams, not like the ones in Charlottesville or Blacksburg so much, um, then occasionally our teams meet with a lot on the line. And a few years ago, there was a moment like that that went Alabama's way. But this past January, you may recall, you may recall that it didn't go Alabama's way, it went Georgia's way. Amen, can I get a witness? Yes, 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 yes. Let me tell you about the celebration, though. Celebrations happen usually not so much in a blowout. You know what I mean? When you beat the team 69 to nothing, there's not a lot to celebrate. In some ways, you almost feel bad. But sometimes you go to a game. Sometimes you get to watch a game. Sometimes you're pulling for your team, and it looks like they're going to lose. It looks like defeat is inevitable. It looks like you've made mistakes. You haven't got uh, your, 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 your plans not working. They're better than you, whatever it is. And in the course of the game, something happens, something turns, something takes place where you go from we're losing to we won. You ever been there? Are you a fan of a team? You ever, you ever had a moment like that? I know it's been a long, long time for you tech fans, but listen, listen, hang with me. 
There are moments when it's going the wrong direction and then all of a sudden, in an instant, it completely turns and goes the other way. And that's what gets you off the couch. That's what gets you out of your seat. That's what happens when you think it's all is lost, it's over, and then some miracle happens and you're victorious. That's the kind of feeling of this woman in this coin. It was a needle in a haystack. There was no way. There was no way. She wasn't going to find it. It was gone until it wasn't. Until it wasn't. Until it was found. Let me just tell you, it is hard to reach lost coins. It is hard to reach people that are jaded by religion and by faith. It is hard to reach people that have claimed once following Christ, now deconstructed, now they're evangelists for atheism or evangelists for being, for being out uh, away from the church. It is hard to, but when you reach somebody like that, when you see a conversion like that, the kind of celebration you can have as you see God snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, it is absolutely stunning and incredible and it's worth it. It's worth the fight. It's worth the search. In all three of these parables, you see something that is practically identical, and that is this. Whether it's a lost sheep, a lost coin, or a lost son, <laughs> the party ensues when the lost are found. Amen? The party ensues when the lost are found. I said it for my seven years here. Pastor Matthew said it a moment ago. There is nothing we celebrate in the church of Jesus Christ more than baptisms. You know why? It's because it is the visual demonstration God has given us to a changed heart and a changed life. We can't see one another's heart. When somebody comes to this altar and gives their life to Jesus, we can't see their heart. We can't see the transformation on the inside, but God is so good to us to say there's a symbol of repentance, and it is believer's baptism. And so when somebody gets baptized at Salem Church, and when somebody gets baptized at Crosslink Community Church, it is a time to absolutely celebrate, cheer, and rejoice because another one has been rescued by Jesus. Amen? And I hope when you guys baptize on the 25th, it is a party from here. You don't have chandeliers, but if you had them, I'd hope you swing from them. I'm talking, I'm talking go crazy. Run lap, have fun. Man, it's time to celebrate because that's what happened. What God celebrates, we celebrate. So let's look at that celebration. Just like the shepherd's parable, God celebrated as the lost came home. Number four, the point. So I want to show you the the loss, the found, the celebration, and then what is the point? See, every parable, as we said before, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So look at verse number seven as he wraps up the, the lost sheep parable, and then verse 10 as he wraps up the lost coin parable. Jesus says, I tell you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Then he says in verse 10, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Remember, the coin that's been lost is the coin that's been pushed away by pain, culture, wars, church abuse, and other things like that. It will take longer and have require more patient work to find them. Why? Because they are lost. Now, if you're here today and you're lost. You've never been saved. You're considering embracing the gospel. You're considering joining the church. You're considering being saved and baptized yourself. Give me a, a couple of minutes to speak to the believers in the room. You see, when I preached this message at Salem Church, my church in New York, a few months ago, I got more positive feedback and negative feedback than any other sermon I'd ever preached there in seven years. 
I got more people coming forward going, yes, this is what we need to hear. This is absolutely the heart of God. Thank you for sharing it. But then I got a lot of pushback and a lot of frustration from people that were completely confused. And the, 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 the question they were asking is, Pastor, if you're telling us that Jesus prioritized the lost over the found, what does it mean for the found? What does Jesus think? How does he feel? What does he do about the found? I don't feel found. I feel lost myself sometimes, but I am a follower of Jesus. So what about the found? And the questions we had to wrestle with is, number one, does God love the found? Yes, he does. Number two, does the church love the found? Church, yes, we do. The question, does Pastor John, who has an evangelist heart, does he love the found? Yes, he does. So what is God's will? What is the church's plan? What is pastor's heart for found people? And what I'll tell you is this, it's the same heart Jesus had toward found people. When Jesus walked on that seashore and called his first disciples, what did he say in Mark 1, 17? Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And then Jesus was crystal clear when it came to Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, where he says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. The desire that God has for you, found person, the desire that God has for me, found person, is that we would be actively, aggressively, intentionally pursuing the lost sheeps, the lost coins, and the lost sons that are existing all around us. You might say, well, hang on, Pastor John. What about all those passages of scriptures that tell us to love one another? What about those passages of scriptures that tell us that, that we're to serve one another? What about those passages of scripture that says that we're supposed to do good to all, but especially to those who have a household of faith? Doesn't that seem to emphasize that we should be focusing on one another before we focus on those on the outside? Well, you might think they do, but actually they don't. Most of those passages are in the context of the epistles, which were written at a time of explosive missional growth. They were given to believers that were on mission with God, actively making disciples and multiplying churches. The way we say it, I think I said it here when I was a pastor here years, years ago, but the way we say it at Salem churches is that there are three types of churches and they're existing in, in three kinds of boats, okay? Three types of boats. There's churches that look more like a cruise ship, and they exist for the wants, needs, and desires of those that are on the ship. You go on a cruise, they're going to make you as comfortable as possible. They're going to feed you until you pop. They're going to make sure you have everything you need to enjoy yourself on that cruise ship because the staff, the captain, and everybody in between, they exist for your pleasure and they exist for your benefit. And a lot of churches operate that way. They operate like they exist for the wants, needs, and desires of the members. A lot of church functions function that way. And some churches are cruise ship churches. Other churches are battleship churches. That means they exist to go into battle, to fight the battles of culture, to fight the battles of the mission of God, to fight the battles to advance the kingdom of God. And so if you belong to a cruise ship church, your number one question about your church is this, is can this church meet my wants, needs, and desires? And if it can, great. If it can't, then go find another cruise ship who will. This carnival cruise won't do it. Let me go find a Royal Caribbean around the corner that will. If your church is a battleship kind of church, the question is this, is my church fighting the battles that I want fought? And if I pay my tithe and I come faithfully and I volunteer in some capacity, then that pastor and those staff members, they better go fight the fights I think need to be fought in this culture and for the kingdom of God. That's what I pay them to do and that's what I expect them to do. That's a battleship church. 
But I believe God has called churches like mine and churches like yours not to be a cruise ship existing for the wants, needs, desires of its members. I believe God's called us to be not a battleship where the church goes out and fights and wages war on the culture. I believe God has called us to be a kind of aircraft carrier church. An aircraft carrier can actually wage war on multiple fronts. It can send boats and it can send battalions, it can send airplanes, it can send resources and wage war and send people for the mission of God. You say, what about sick people? What about those that need help? Well, an aircraft carrier will have an infirmary for the sick. It might even have a game room for some leisure time. But that's not the point of the carrier. The point of the carrier is to advance the mission of God and, or mission of, the, of, its, of its commanding officer and send people out for that specific purpose. I pray my church and your church embrace an aircraft carrier mindset because that is the heart of God. Chris Wright says that mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, says the church has nothing to do but save souls. Therefore, spend and be spent in the work. Some of you more reformed bent may say, well, that was a, the Armenian said that. Well, listen to Charles Spurgeon, the greatest Baptist reformed preacher of all time, who said soul winning is the chief business of the Christian minister. Indeed, it should be the main pursuit of every single true believer. Dear friends, this is our call. Dear friends, this is our mandate. Dear friends, this is the great commission of God given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must embrace it. And the bottom line, the main idea I have for you, I've come back from New York to the Valley to tell you this, it is the heart of God must be the heart of his people. If you're going to love God, you have to love what God loves. That is our mandate, dear friends, and we must embrace it. Amen? very special for me to be back here, as I mentioned, because it was about 13, 14 years ago that God began stirring my heart and began moving us toward the idea of moving to the Shenandoah Valley and being a part of this unbelievable work. So many of you were a part of that in those days and remember that season of life. And to be quite frank with you, as I'm delivering this message and preaching to this church family, it occurs to me that this very mindset is what we had to embrace together in those moments for God to do a miracle here on this property in this valley. I'll never forget coming into this building for the very first time. Pastor Randy Spencer was pastor at Calvary Baptist at the time, and they were helping what was Faith Bible Church at that time to, to transition to become a, a, a new church, a new, a new body of believers reaching the valley. And Pastor Randy was talking to my wife and I about, you guys have come here and lead this and be a part of this and God could do something really special here. This valley needs, needs this church. They, they need a pastor, a, a family like yours. They come up and be a part of it. And he brought me inside this building. At that time, it was nothing more than a, than a shell than a shell, it was just an out, walls and roof and there was nothing else in here. And when we first walked in, I stepped on something, I looked down, it was a dead bird. That bird had gotten in and couldn't get out and it died. And as we walked around the room, you remember Randy, we walked around the room, it was dusty and dirty and nasty and you could just hear the vision in Pastor Randy's voice, worship center, kids area, spaces, opportunity, this place is unbelievable. But it wasn't the building that was such a challenge, it was the debt that was associated with the building that was a challenge. The church was struggling to maintain, struggling to, to pay the bills and to move forward. And the more he talked, the more 
bleak the picture got. <laughs> but God in his sovereignty chose to call my family and I to move here in the late summer of 2009. And I invited that small core group of people to embrace a vision of impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I asked that small group of people, some of you in this room and I've talked to you already today, to lay aside your personal preferences. Well, I want a church that looks like this, or I want a church that sings this kind of music, or I want a church where the pastor wears this kind of outfit, or I want a church that looks like this, I want a church that feels like that, I want a church that has ministries like these things. Set all the preferences aside, and instead, let's just be a community of believers that are radically committed to the Great Commission evangelism, and discipleship. And you did. And had you not, I don't know if Crosslink Community Church exists today. But as we look back across the last 12, 13 years of God's faithfulness, what we're seeing is a God who is willing to bless a people that are willing to surrender their personal preferences on the altar of God's kingdom and his great commission call. And I know for me, in New York City, we have lost over half of our church family that has moved away in the last three years. I have an entirely different church than I had three years ago. What God called me to New York to do is not what I've been doing. I want to do it, and I believe God's opening an opportunity for us to embrace in the days ahead. But what I'm asking Salem Church on Staten Island to do, I believe that Pastor Matthew, your staff, your pastor's counsel are inviting you to do as well, is to lay aside personal preference, lay aside personal comfort, lay aside all the things that are selfish in your heart and in your mind, sacrifice them to the glory of God and say, Lord, whatever it is you're calling from me, I will give it. Whatever it is you're telling me, to do, I will do it. It will not be about me. It will not be about this church. It'll be about your kingdom and your gospel and this city because there are lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons all over this valley that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've got to bring it to them. Much of the challenges of the Old Testament were those believers trying to ride on the faith of their fathers. Yes, we are the people whose fathers God brought out of Egypt. We are the people whose fathers God spoke to through the prophets. We are the people whose fathers, whose ancestors heard from God. But yet they themselves hadn't surrendered themselves to the Lord. They hadn't consecrated themselves to the Lord. So my challenge to you today, dear, sweet, loving church family, is that God did a miracle back in 08, 09, 2010, and we are sitting here today as visual witnesses of that miracle. But God is not done with you. He's not finished with you. And in fact, God has an invitation for all of us today to embrace him today, to sacrifice and surrender ourselves to him today. Let us experience the next season of his faithfulness at work through a people who are surrendered to him. And you never know what God might do in and through you if you simply say yes. But that's only possible if what grieves God grieves us. If what God celebrates, we celebrate. 
It's what God makes God celebrate and happy makes us happy. What makes God sad makes us sad because if we love God, we have to love what God loves. And God loves lost people. God loves this valley, smells and all. He is loving this valley. God loves New York City, political crazies and all. He loves them. And he's looking for people through whom he's going to show himself strong as we surrender ourselves to him and embrace his mission together. Would you pray with me? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the opportunity to deliver a, a word of challenge and encouragement to a church I so deeply love. But God, I'm aware of the fact that there may be in this room, seated in one of these seats, somebody who is still lost. Somebody who is still lost and they need to be found. Lord, I don't know why they're lost other than the fact they've not yet been saved. They might be lost because they've wandered and they're just nowhere to be found right now. They might be lost because someone mismanaged, mishandled, or misplaced them. There's a barrier to their faith. I don't know why they're lost, Lord God, but, but you do. And you know exactly what the solution is. And Lord, you're prepared to offer that solution right now, today. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.